UPS. In July, the contract of over 340,000 UPS workers will expire. And if those workers go on strike, which is a real possibility, it will be the largest strike against a single company in U.S. history. San Francisco's ground central in the introduction of autonomous robot taxi cabs. And workers and the people are fed up with these vehicles, killing cats and creating serious health and safety problems during emergencies. Just trying to maintain a regular income. We're not, I'm not even t- including in the overtime or anything like that. Hey, it's a possibility that, you know, all our dreams will go to waste. We just, we just can't lose any more employees at Clark. We literally are working with a skeleton crew, both faculty and staff. You're listening to the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly. I'm Chris Garlock. Contract talks covering hundreds of thousands of UPS workers broke down on Wednesday. And more than 340,000 Teamsters are now staging practice pickets across the country. On the Upsurge podcast, we find out where UPS fits into the logistics revolution in global capitalism and what it might mean for building worker power. Next, we go to San Francisco, where Workweek Radio reports on a rally that united taxi drivers, Uber, and Lyft drivers. They're all worried about robot taxi cabs, which they warn pose a threat to safety and jobs. Memphis is our next stop, as workers at IFF, International Flavors and Fragrances, talk to the BCTGM Voices Project about why they've been out on strike since June 4th. BCTGM Voices is the podcast from the Bakery Workers Union. If it's anything like mine, your email inbox is probably crammed with messages asking you to sign an online petition, write a letter, or show up at an event. Does it really matter? On the Working to Live in Southwest Washington podcast, we find out how messages like these help save jobs at Clark College and why the smallest actions can make a big difference. That's all ahead on this week's edition of the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly. Here's the show. If you use the example of UPS, here's a company that begins in 1907 in Seattle as a bicycle messenger service. So how is it that 125 years later, how is it that, you know, it is a global corporation employing half a million workers, flies to 220 countries and territories a day, has a massive delivery fleet of 60,000 package cars. It has to tell us about something that changed with manufacturing and distribution over the last the last century. Now, you... The word logistics has somewhat of an impersonal ring to it. When you hear it, you think massive container ships, cranes, 18-wheelers, aircrafts, conveyor belts, spreadsheets, contracts, and of course, boxes. It's almost as if all of this infrastructure that moves our goods around the world, around the clock, is running by itself. The wonders of technology. But undergirding logistics is one indispensable element. Workers. Millions of them without whom the colossal flow of goods and services would come grinding to a halt.
my name is Teddy Ostro. Welcome to The Upsurge, a podcast about UPS, the Teamsters, and the future of the American labor movement. This podcast unpacks the unprecedented labor fight this year at UPS. In July, the contract of over 340,000 UPS workers will expire. And if those workers go on strike, which is a real possibility, it will be the largest strike against a single company in U.S history. The Upsurge is produced in partnership with In These Times and The Real News Network. In this episode of The Upsurge, we're zooming out and looking at UPS within a larger process that has occurred over the last several decades, the logistics revolution. I could think of no better person to talk about this than Joe Allen, a historian, activist, and truck driver who was a UPS teamster for almost a decade. He is a contributor to the online publication Tempest and the author of The Package King, a rank-and-file history of the United Parcel Service published by Haymarket Books. Joe Allen, welcome to The Upsurge. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. To get started, I'd like to ask a deceivingly simple question. What is logistics? Well, I think uh, it's become a buzzword, you know, that on one hand, if you say it, you know, it implies that everybody knows what you're talking about. And to some degree, you know, the idea behind it is pretty simple and pretty basic in its most simple form. It's, you know, how do you get goods and goods that are produced to consumers? I mean, you know, from the plant, the manufacturing facility to the people who have bought it at the end of the day. Um, and that's still, in some sense, the, uh, the basic idea of logistics. Though for some people, at least, it has a kind of military ring to it, you know, like it, it always did. And that's not an accident. But I think the, the modern discussion of logistics is on a much grander scale. It really is talking about the organization of entire supply chains, which has you know, occurred for two reasons. One, technological changes, that is modern air fleets, containerization, the vast expansion of ocean transport, the vast expansion of trucking. I mean, all these things come together, but it also means a kind of reorganization of production that allowed for the emergence of, in particular, these kind of enormous retail giants Walmart being the kind of trendsetter for this starting in the late 60s through the 70s and then, you know, becoming a massive corporation uh, during the course of the 1990s, being one of the largest private sector employers in the country, which it remains today. And of course, you know, Amazon, which is both, you know, brings together both being a delivery company and a retail operation at the same time. The industrial working class and the industrial labor movement, which went through from the 70s, really through the late 90s, went through this gut-wrenching changes where unions such as the old Teamsters and the UAW and the steel workers and, you know, related industrial unions who were seen at the heart of the industrial working class really were hollowed out by those vast changes in production in particular. And now we've seen, you know, a kind of regrouping of industrial workers in large workplaces, particularly in the big distribution companies like Amazon or UPS. So the potential for building a new industrial labor movement is here. The question is, you know, can it be done by the existing unions or do themselves have to be really changed fundamentally to take advantage of it or do we have to create new ones? Most of the modern big, you know, Transport and, and and retail companies are non-union. You know, the older logistics industry, waterfront, rail, are union. 
they're highly regulated, but they're union. Most of the current modern ones are non-union. So UPS inhabits this kind of odd space of both being one of the great benefactors of deregulation and being a unionized company at the same time. And so, you know, what this means politically is that within the Teamsters, they've become a kind of union within a union. You know, right now there are anywhere from 330,000 to 350,000, depending on seasonal fluctuation, UPSers who are members of the Teamsters Union. The Teamsters have about 1.2 million members. So over a quarter of the union are UPSers in some sense, unfortunately, you know, the Teamsters have had a cooperative relationship with the company. So in exchange for concessions, particularly, you know, the difference between the pay for part-timers and full-timers, and part-timers still make up nearly two-thirds of the workforce, they've helped subsidize the massive growth of, of UPS at every stage of the way during its modern history, and I mean that from the 1980s onward, uh, really quite at the expense particularly of, of part-timers in terms of wages, but also in terms of the working conditions that, whether you're full-time or, or part-time, are, are quite horrendous and exploitative. You look back, you know, and you go, in, uh, in 1968, you know, UPS, delivered more parcel posts in the post office. They had about 100,000 employees at the time. When Ron Carey, you know, led the strike against UPS in 1997, there was 185,000 Teamsters went out on strike. Here we are, you know, 25 years later, quarter of a century later, and despite all the talk of technology and replacing workers, there are something like 330,000 to 350,000 workers who are members of the Teamsters Union at UPS. So, you know, I think that the potential power of workers to, to shut down UPS, one, has been demonstrated, though it has been muted and, and underused. And we'll see come July 31st whether it's used for the first time in the modern history of UPS, which I mean modern may now mean since 2000. The labor movement is just not about wages and working conditions, but it's also about fighting racism and sexism and fighting against anti-immigrant bigotry or transphobia. You know, and, and there's just too much of the labor movement will either kind of sign off on, yeah, we're all for the fight for the right things, or they'll completely ignore those things. But those are the things that actually divide or and potentially can unite workers on a daily basis in a workplace. And that lack of imagination, that lack of politics is still is still kind of, you know, marginal to the labor movement right right now. And I think that's one of the things that has to change. Joe Allen, thanks for joining me on The Upsurge. Thanks a lot, Teddy. Glad to be here. You just listened to episode seven of The Upsurge. I'm Teddy Ostro. Thanks for listening and catch you next time. This is Work Week with Steve Zeltzer. This week we'll hear about the proposed introduction of 200 autonomous robo-taxis in San Francisco by the California Public Utility Commission. A rally opposing these robo-taxis was held on June 29th at the Commission in San Francisco. San Francisco is ground central in the introduction of autonomous robot taxi cabs. 
and workers and the people are fed up with these vehicles, killing cats and creating serious health and safety problems during emergencies. The billionaires who run the city and the state government took away local control of these vehicles from the cities, including San Francisco, and put it in the hands of the California Public Utilities Commission. They were planning to allow 200 robot taxis to operate in San Francisco 24 hours a day with a vote on June 29th, but the vote was postponed to July 13th. However, taxi and Uber Lyft drivers rallied in San Francisco at the CPUC. Stop the robos now! Stop the robos now! Stop the robos now! First of all, this with thousands of taxi cab drivers and Uber Lyft drivers out of work. There's been no study about the effect of AI driverless cars and the cost to the people of California and San Francisco. Second of all, it's an environmental crisis. Already these cars, remote control cars, have stopped in the middle of the road during emergencies. They stopped in fog. They're not ready for the streets. They're dangerous. And the technology is being introduced in San Francisco, and it will spread to Los Angeles and New York if it's allowed. There is no real education about the effect of AI. The riders are on strike now in Los Angeles because AI threatens to destroy their industry. We need to put a halt to this. We need to say that if new technology is going to be introduced, the effect on workers has to be of, of prime importance. And our first speaker today's rally is Mark Gruberg. He's with the Taxi Cab Workers Alliance. You've probably seen, uh, you've certainly seen these cars around town. Uh, they're all over the place. They've been doing it for years. But lately that's changed because for the longest time, uh, these cars were, were circling around with uh, drivers in the driver's seat, uh, ready to take over. And very often they did have to take over. Lately we have seen uh, these vehicles exploding across the streets day and night without drivers. So I ask a question. What happened to the drivers that were behind the wheel before they went driverless? Well, we can take a guess. A lot of those drivers probably lost their jobs. Okay, that is what's in store for four hire drivers all across the city and eventually all across this country and probably the world if these things take over. So we're calling on the CPUC uh, to put on the brakes. You know, a lot of people think that these things are cool, that they're state of the art. Well, it's not cool to impinge on crime scenes. It's not cool to prevent firefighters from doing their job. It's not cool to block the roads. It's not cool to run into muni buses and interfere with public transportation. None of that is cool. My name is Edward Escobar. I'm the founder of the Alliance for Independent Workers. This is the kicking off point for the new age of AI, which means severe displacement of millions, if not billions of workers globally. Just like Uber and Lyft, their world headquarters were established here. It spread around the world as a virus undermining transportation infrastructure, promising a dream, but delivering a nightmare. They have been undermining all forms of transportation that are required to observe the laws. So that what 
so they can make more profits. We're talking about profits over people. That is what we're talking about. That's all that matters. We say to the CPUC, do your job for the people, not for the private corporations looking to exploit workers. This is not a future that we have that's going to be available for the future of work. Where are the rights of the workers? Where are the rights of the people? Protect the public trust. Welcome to the BCTGM Voices Project, a podcast highlighting the real people who make up our union. On June 4th, nearly 200 members of BCTGM Local 390G went on strike against international flavors and fragrances in Memphis, Tennessee. The workers produce soy protein products, which are distributed for use in baby formula, pet foods, soy-based nutritional powders, and other food and beverage products. A little more than 20 days in, six of these workers took a break from the line to talk to me alongside their lead negotiator, International Representative Jason Thomas. Feel free to leave a solidarity message on whatever platform you've chosen to listen on today and share, share, share this recording to support the workers. With that, here are the voices of the IFF strike. So I'm Jason Thomas. I'm International Rep. Uh, I was also the lead negotiator for this group. Yeah, my name is uh, Cedric Wilson. I'm the president of the union, and uh, I, I'm currently a drive operator in the MS2P unit. Uh, that's called uh, Memphis Phase. My name is Zandra Lee. I work in the lab. Um, I'm just a member of the union, very active member of the union. I am Jessica Merriweather. I'm a union member, and I am a dryer operator as well as packaging. I'm Bob Thompson, uh, lead lab specialist, uh, union member one year, and I've been with the company 22 years. Hello, I'm Tanya Walker. I am. I work in the lab. I'm a lead lab specialist. I've been with the company 21 years. And I'm Kamitris Morgan, uh, vice president of the union, been, in, been with the company for 17 years, been in the union for 17 years. Cedric, why don't you answer this question? Uh, you know, I know this is a soy protein facility, but can you just kind of explain what that means and maybe some products that we might recognize that go, that your ingredients go into? Yeah, what, what we do specifically is uh, we extract soy protein from the soybean. Flake. Um, um, some of the more popular products is uh, Infamil, Ensure, uh, Nestle Purina, uh, Royal K9, um, Heal Pit, um, just to name a few. There's a lot more others though. So, knowing that many of you have been there for at least a decade, um, will you kind of explain how things have changed since you've been working there? Um, you know, and kind of what got to this place where you're in conflict with the company? One of the major themes of this contract negotiations is that um, I would say, and I've been here about 10 years, and I know some of the uh, more veteran people can speak to this. Uh, I would say about five years ago, this is one of the best jobs in the city. And and one of the themes was is that a lot of the surrounding jobs have caught up. The company used to have an advantage over more skilled workers. So, and, and there was a point in time, especially right before the pandemic, where they just couldn't hire anybody at the wages we, we had. So, and that's kind of where we are, where we are now, you know. You know, they, they, they came up with a plan to kind of pay more people off the street without paying people 
inside. And, you know, it seems like the people inside are taking most of the, the brunt, the brunt, the brunt of what's, you know, going on. So since we have um, such a handful of you on here, I would love for some of you to kind of tell me like real life examples of how this is affecting your life. So I, right now I, I'm been diagnosed as pre-diabetic. So uh, my insulin is very expensive. It actually went up since the, the company has decided to change uh, from Agna, Agna to uh, United Healthcare. My, my, my premium went up. I'm going through a transition where that, you know, I, I don't want to be too in depth, but you know, I was in me, me and my wife finally got an opportunity to to build our dream home and we was building our home and you know we put up we put up our land and everything like that and now we're on strike. We don't know we're gonna even we don't even keep we're gonna be able to close on our home at this time. Even though we put our whole life savings up for this. You know, just trying to maintain a, a regular income. We're not. I'm not even t- including in the overtime or anything like that. I'm just including my regular income, and it's a possibility that you know all our dreams will go to waste. Yeah. We are BCTGM on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. For more on the activities of the BCTGM, go to bctgm.org. Hello, working people of Southwest Washington. Yeah, that's the stuff. You're listening to episode 37 of Working to Live in Southwest Washington, produced by the Southwest Washington Central Labor Council. We're also a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network, with 200 radio shows and podcasts for working people just like you. Find out more about the network at laborradionetwork.org. Speaking of online petition sites, I don't know about you folks out there, but I get a lot of email, a lot. And a lot of that email is about causes I believe in. There's a bunch of messages that are asking me to sign a petition or show up at a meeting or write a letter about a certain issue. And I think a lot of us, after we get about 20, 30, 50 of those a day, start to wonder, is it really worth it? If I actually click this button, is it going to do anything? What's the point, right? Well, we've got two people here with us today who have a little experience about this, and they can tell you whether it's worth it or not. Let's welcome Courtney Braddock, WPEA steward at Clark College. Thanks for joining us, Courtney. Happy to be here. And returning to the show, our friend Suzanne Sutherland, president of the Clark College Association for Higher Education. Thanks so much for joining us again, Suzanne. Thank you for having me. Hello, brothers, sisters, and siblings of Southwest Washington. So, Courtney, Suzanne, recently your two organizations at Clark College put out a call for support to our community in Southwest Washington, right? What was going on at Clark College that you were asking for support for? After several years of budget cuts, the college was going through another $8 million budget shortfall and decided that they were going to cut half of that and take half from reserves. And there were two staff positions that were 
on the chopping block along with a tenured faculty position. We asked folks to submit emails, come to our board of trustees meetings, and let them know how cutting these positions would impact the community in a negative way. Well, before we get into sending those emails, you just used some language, Courtney, that I think might benefit from a little definition. You said that there were a couple of positions, but there was also a faculty position. What are those exactly? What's the difference between faculty and these other positions that we're talking about? That's a great question. I represent classified staff at Clark College. So we have a whole host of departments that we represent from custodians, security, um, accounting, all these different staff members who assist and do a bunch of different jobs at the college. The two positions that were going to be cut were a emergency manager and our architect. And then I know Suzanne has more information on this tenure faculty position. Right. Yes. The Clark College Association for Higher Education, CCAHE, we represent the faculty at Clark College, and that includes the professors, both part-time and full-time, as well as the librarians and the mental health counselors. One of those mental health counselors was one of the people who the college was proposing to cut. And it doesn't take a lot of thinking to realize, wow, cutting a mental health counselor right now in any institution, especially an education institution, just seems like going in the wrong direction, right? If we're really about serving students at Clark, we should be increasing mental health support like many of the other CTCs. So we were not only facing losing a tenured faculty, which you know, tenured faculty, they've been made a commitment by the college to have an education position for life. So trying to cut one of those positions as well as that position being one that was essential in helping students, it was really critical for us to get together and try to fight that cut, as well as the cuts to staff. I understand what you're saying, and nobody wants to lose their job, but aren't we really just talking about three jobs here? compared to all of the other employees at Clark College. Why was it so important to fight for these three jobs? I know with our staff positions, we've seen a whole host of cuts over the last few years, and that means that positions were taking on more work. We heard directly from the mouths of the administration that other people would be taking on this work, and we knew how detrimental that would be to the health of the community, the health of the college, and our students. Courtney's talking about outsourcing. They were literally going to be skimming, giving the architect positions work to an outside agency. That alone is enough to fight. But, you know, Courtney has a really great point. We've already had so many cuts. Through the pandemic, we saw so many of our part-time faculty lose their part-time positions. And what that means is more work for everyone who's left behind. And when we do allow one, even just one represented employee to be cut, we're sending a message that it's okay to cut union jobs. We can't afford to lose any more employees. It's impacting our students' experience at Clark College. I mean, that's irrefutable. So it sounds like just three positions, but who's going to do that work? And then how is that going to trickle down to the students? So 
Thank you so much for joining us, Suzanne Sutherland, President of the Clark College Association for Higher Education, and Courtney Braddock, WPEA Steward at Clark College. Thank you. And thank you, working people, for joining us on another episode of Working to Live in Southwest Washington, produced by the Southwest Washington Central Labor Council. And that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly. Just a very small sample of the amazing programs aired recently on some 200 Labor Radio and Podcast shows across the country and around the world. They're all part of the Labor Radio Podcast Network, shows that focus on working people's issues and concerns. We have got links to all the network shows, laborradionetwork.org. You can also find them. Use the hashtag LaborRadioPod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Labor Radio Podcast Weekly, edited this week by Patrick Dixon. I produce the show, and our social media guru, as always, is Mr. Harold Phillips. For the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly, this is Chris Garlock. Stay active, and of course, stay tuned to your local Labor Radio Podcast show.